Bibles and open up to the book of James, James chapter 1. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray. Lord, I just uh, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before you right now to open up your word, Lord. I, just, uh, I pray that you would just uh, prepare our hearts to hear your word, that you would just open our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear what you have to say, Lord. I pray that as we uh, go this morning, Lord, that uh, we wouldn't just hear, but we would uh, apply what we've heard to our lives, Lord. It's, uh, it's pointless for us to come and to just hear, but we are here to apply your word. Lord, I pray that your word would change our lives. It's your word that changes us. And Lord, I just uh, ask that you would just uh, uh, bring your anointing on Pastor Jackie right now, that you would just uh, lift him up, give him the words to say, that none of them will be his, but they would be yours, and that they would be uh, what we need to hear in your name, I pray. Amen. Oh, we get to start a new book. Aren't you excited? It's been like a year and a half in Hebrew, so. And judging from how far we're going to go today, you might be a year in James. If you, if you are, uh, I'm just excited about how God, you ever see how God puts things together? You know, you, we've had a lot of things going on. We just had a marriage retreat uh, this weekend. Friday and and Saturday and uh, it was just interesting to come open up James be uh, be preparing and see the same themes same things going on in in the book of James like what we had been discussing this last weekend and uh, just excited to open it up it says in verse one James a servant of God the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes of the diaspora the dispersion greetings. So who is this? Who's this James? Let's, let's talk a little bit about the author. Who is James? Who is this? Scripture lays out for us, this is a brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, we, we are introduced to him the first time. It says, is this not the carpenter, speaking of Jesus, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Jude, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They, they were looking at Jesus having grown up in their midst in Nazareth. And they knew his brothers. One of his brothers, James. The other one, you heard it in there, right? His other brother is Jude. In Jude chapter 1, Jude says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Jude and James, the, the brothers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Half-brothers of the Lord we see that uh, not only is he, is he or, or are they brothers and half-brothers of the Lord, but he's also called an apostle. It says in uh, Galatians 1.19, But I saw none, Paul speaking, I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. He, he includes James in the list of apostles. Now keep in mind, when we use the word apostles, used three different ways in Scripture. It's used of the twelve, right? We know the twelve disciples. They picked another one, right, in the, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, so they had twelve again. 
It's used of all those who were utilized by God to write for us the scriptures. Because as they wrote their letters, Paul, James, Jude, as they wrote their letters, they knew they were writing scripture as they're writing it out that would be uh, utilized within the word of God as we have it today. Those are called apostles. And also, anyone who was a missionary. The Latin word for apostolos is missio. We get the word missionary from both. The idea of an apostle is one who is sent out. So we see that he is numbered among the apostles. He's there with 120, we're going to see in a moment. He comes to become a believer, but he is not one of the twelve, the scripture tells. In 1 Corinthians 15.4, it says that he was buried. Speaking of Jesus, he was buried and raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. There, they're referring to the twelve. He's going to go on to name them. He didn't believe, Scripture tells us, in John chapter 7, verse 5, Jesus' brothers didn't believe who he was. They grew up with him. This cannot be the same kid we, were, we played with when we were little, who's now declaring himself to be the Son of God. They struggled with the idea of who he really was, which really flies in the face of all those Gnostic Gospels that came out in the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th centuries that said there was something special about Jesus as he grew up. You know, he, he'd pick up a bird and it would come to life if it was dead and fly away. You guys never heard those stories? Or he'd take clay and from clay he'd, he'd make a, an animal, maybe a squirrel, and then it would come to life and run away. But according to Scripture, that never happened. And his brothers didn't see anything in the life of Jesus that would mark him as the Son of God. So they didn't believe until after the resurrection. John 7, 5. Not even his brothers believed in him. The Scripture declares it. But in 1 Corinthians 15, we read that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he went to his brothers. Then it was hard to argue, right? It's a little hard to say, you know, you, you have delusions of grandeur, brother, if your brother died and rose again and now was standing in front of you. Now you begin to understand James and Jude's transformation. He becomes a leader of the church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 12, verse 7, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in his cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off him. So we got Peter in prison. Peter in prison. As Peter's in prison, what's he going to do? He comes and he appears to the people. And as he appears to the people, remember they're having a prayer meeting. Do you guys remember the story? Peter knocks on the door. The little servant girl opens the door. Doesn't let him in. Runs over to the, runs over to the folks. Rhoda. Runs over to the folks and says, Hey guys, I know you're praying for Peter, but he's at the front door. And they said, Oh, you're crazy. No, it's Peter. No, you're crazy. Finally, they come. Peter's sitting out there like, dude, people are looking for me. Would somebody let me in the house? <laughs> he comes in the house. What's he say? He says, go tell James. Go tell James. He's, we see that the brothers of Christ are becoming more and more involved. By Acts chapter 15, he has become the spokesperson for the church in Jerusalem. The spokesperson, this James, the spokesperson of the church of Jerusalem. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 9, it says, When James and Cephas, or Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship 
to Barnabas and myself that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. One to the Gentiles, the other to the circumcised, the Jews. So, you have Peter, James, not James the disciple. You remember James the disciple was arrested and killed by Herod. And then Peter was arrested. You guys tracking with me? So first, James, the brother of John, the sons of thunder, the two guys that started the first motorcycle group. We've talked about that before, right? Yeah, sons of thunder. That's what they were called. It's in the Bible. So James, he gets, he gets killed. They didn't have a motorcycle. They had donkeys. It's close. So they, so they, he gets killed by the sword and Herod's excited because everybody gets excited because he's killing Christians. So he arrests Peter. Right? We, we talked about that earlier. Now as we, as we work our way through and we talk about this James, we're reading Galatians chapter 2. We're post Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 when James becomes the pillar, if you will, the church in Jerusalem and a member of the 120. So who's this, who's this epistle written to? Who's it to? It says it's written to the 12 tribes in dispersion. In the diaspora. Now I want you to track with me. Because I don't want us to lose, lose our footing historically. So what happens in the church? The church is, is really birthed on, on the day of Pentecost. Everybody remembers? The day of Pentecost, the church comes to life. 3,000 people give their life. They repent and believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And the church is born. Then the disciples are immediately uh, put on trial, beaten, cursed. They come out of that trial in Acts chapter 4, praying, God, make us bold so we'll still speak the name of Jesus, even though they're going through some trials. Right? And then what happens? God's Spirit comes upon them again. They're filled with boldness. And they go out and they preach, and 5,000 souls are added to the church. So now, the church is 8,000 people. By the way, that's big church and that's in the book of acts in the beginning so you have all these people now they don't have nowhere to meet where are they meeting they're meeting outside the temple in the courtyard because outside the temple in the courtyard big space so the temple courtyard is being filled with christians and people see these christians and hear what they have to say about jesus christ and more are added daily the scripture says and it's growing and it's growing and it's growing and pretty soon the jews are saying they're going to take over the whole thing so they start a persecution and that persecution creates what is called the diaspora the scattering as soon as the, as soon as that persecution starts all the believers, which is exactly what God wants, all the believers who are right there, Jewish people around the temple, they scatter and they go every direction. But what do they take with them? They take the gospel with them everywhere they go. And what do we see happening? Churches start springing up in the towns where they settle. So James is saying, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, which is a way of saying to all the Jews who were scattered because of persecution. Because of persecution, they've been scattered. And that's an important thing to understand as we look at James. Because when we go to the second verse, what's he going to tell them? Count it all joy, right? When you come into various trials. 
Well, why, why would he begin a letter like that? Because every one of these Jews that he's writing to, these little churches that have sprung up, he knows they started as a result of trials, difficulties, tribulations, hard things in life that caused people to go, to run, to leave things behind. Maybe they lost everything when they took off and they went in all these different directions. So he says, I'm writing to you all. That's another way of saying, I'm writing to all the churches. Because that's where they all came from. Every one of them came from this diaspora. The this, this scattering. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it even says the same word. Look at it. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Diaspora means scattered. Scattered. They're scattered. They're spread out as a result of the... Tribulation. In Philippians, Paul, much later, would write these words. He would say, I want, I want you to know, brothers, that whatever happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul saying, all the things I've suffered in life took the word of God more places. God worked out a plan. It was not just about suffer. And it's important that we understand something when we consider trials, when we consider difficulties, when we consider suffering, is that nobody suffers and it's, it's just for suffering's sake. Nobody just suffers for, to go through a hard time. There is meaning behind our hardships. There is meaning behind our illnesses. There's meaning behind the difficulties of life. And so God wants us to know, because all throughout His Word, God says, your suffering matters to me. It matters to me so much, God declares in the Psalms, that I catch every tear you cry. Every time you weep, He says, I have your tears in my bottle. Your tears, I, I keep them. So God's not this, this disassociated being somewhere in the heavens that, that is just a randomly casting lightning bolts to ruin your life. What the Word of God declares is all suffering has purpose. Not most suffering, all suffering has purpose. All suffering. Now we don't always understand it and we don't always get it. But last I checked, that wasn't a requirement. Was it? There's a lot of things that have purpose in this world I do not understand at all. No? There's lots of things I don't know how they work, but I'm happy they do. It's enough for me that God says this is how it is. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't even have all the answers for the suffering in my own life. But I know that the Word of God would tell me there's purpose to it all, the scattering of the people. So when he begins this letter to the churches that have been scattered because of persecution, he wants them to know there's purpose. There's purpose behind it all. And I think it's important, before we jump into verse 2, look what he calls himself. James, a slave. When he calls himself a slave, he's declaring his allegiance to Christ. He's not declaring his relationship to Christ based on being a half-brother. Right? He could have wrote that letter saying, Hey, I'm James, a half-brother of Jesus. You should listen to me. That might carry a lot of weight, right? Part of the family. Nope. He says, I'm James, a slave of Jesus Christ. 
Now, sometime you should spend time going through the New Testament and see how many times the writers of the books of the New Testament introduce themselves that way. What is it they're saying? They are saying, Jesus is my Lord. He's my King. He's the reason that I do the things I do, that I go the places I go. And one of the things that's going to be important moving forward in understanding our trials and our suffering and being prepared to, to see victory in and through them is to remember that the most important relationship you're ever going to have is not your husband or your wife or your children. The most important relationship is the relationship that you have with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you don't have that... You don't have anything else. That's it. Man, everything hinges on... Everything you're able to do as a believer springs out of that relationship. One of the things we talked about this weekend as we spoke to, uh, to, to several um, uh, couples about their marriage is you cannot be who you need to be as a husband or wife in a horizontal relationship if the vertical relationship is not right. If you do not have a right relationship with God and you're in the right place, you understand and recognize the loyal, faithful love of God that's been poured into your life, then you have nothing to give your spouse. And I can give you all the books to read and all the fancy little things to do and tell you rub her feet every day and take her out on dates once a month and make sure you communicate. But none of that will matter to a hill of beans if you don't have the love of Christ in your life to give out. It's not going to work. You're going to struggle, beat your head against a stone wall. I have to receive what I have to give from Jesus. Or I don't have nothing to give. So that vertical relationship is so important. And we're going to see that as we continue to look. So he calls himself a slave. Jesus is my Lord. I have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. He's in charge, not me. He's in charge. He, he makes the calls. I say, I want this job. I want this house. I want this life. We had this beautiful house me and Kathy wanted. Every once in a while, I drive by and I look at it and I go, man, that house is cool. Except for the big hole in the roof now. <laughs> it, was on, it was on 9th. Some of you guys know the story. We were looking at a house on, on 9th. What is it? 9th Avenue Street? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyways, on 9th. And it was beautiful, two-story, monstrous, all the cool things we ever wanted in a house. And, and, and uh, everything was the same between that house and the house we have now. The price, the cost, every, all of it was totally the same. No difference in regard to any of those things. But my goodness, every time we tried to buy it, something went wrong. Financing fell out. We're like, what in the world? How in the world does that happen? And we're kicking the door, doing our best to get that dang door to open up. But if the Lord has shut the door, how many of you know the door won't open again? So the door shuts. And, 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 and I actually, I was doing pretty okay with it. Kathy was not so as okay as I was with it. You know, and because I had said, look, if, if, if this happens or if this happens, I, you know, we're done. We'll, we'll go somewhere else. So that happened. We're done, and she don't have a house, and she wants a house, and we want to live in Buell, and we want to be a part of the community, and we want to plug in, and we've been here eight years, about time we get a place, and my gosh, we trying to, so there's a little complaining going on, as you might imagine, and uh, somebody else bought that house with cash, and they're moving in, 
Man, the day they're moving in, that house caught on fire. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm sorry that they lost that house. But I begin to understand why God says no sometimes. No? I begin to understand the Lord's purposes. Now, do you have to have that answer for every single thing that went sideways in your life? Or is it enough for God to say, there's an answer for them all. Your suffering matters, now trust me. Because that's what the Lord is declaring through James in the book of James. There's three things in these four verses that we need to do to see uh, the blessings in our trials. Three things. We're going to look at three things. Verse 2, 3, and 4. The first one, three things to see our trials become blessings is to have the right attitude. Uh, Does anybody know attitude makes a difference? Anybody ever start a day with a bad attitude and had a good day? Uh, Somehow that don't work, right? Uh, The attitude I bring into today seems, it's like prophecy. It's like I spoke the day into being by just being a sourpuss. And everything went sideways. So we don't want that. What's he say in verse 2? Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Now I want you to understand a couple of things. First I want you to understand this word for trials. The word for trials in the Greek is the word piera. And it literally means the experiences of life. How many of us know that everyone has different life experiences? How many of us know that in my own life, I have multiple, various experiences, good and bad? Some super blessing, some way depressing, and everything in between. And what is it that he's asking of us in our life experiences when we have all different kinds? Because every one of us has all different kinds of life experience, don't we? So he says, in those experiences, in those trials of various kinds, he's asking us, whenever you have them, that word when is hoton, it means whenever, it doesn't mean you're going to get a pass, just in case somebody's in here young and still living high in the hog, it won't stay that way. Everybody is going to have a south day, right? Everybody's going to experience... Some of these things. So he's saying, whenever those things happen, and they're always happening, whenever those things happen, he is asking, he is asking that we, one, understand the nature of the trials, that they're going to come and they're, they're the typical trial that everybody has. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, what does it say? No temptation has overcome you except such as is common to man. The same things in everybody's life. Everybody has different experiences. Everybody has struggles. But then he also wants us not only to understand our trial, but to understand the need for faith. Count it. Look forward. Count it all joy. Deposit joy into the account. Deposit joy into the account so that joy can be your response in your daily life's ups and downs. Joy in your daily life's Ups and downs. Think it forward. Lead the way. Let joy lead the way in your life. That's what he's asking. Let joy lead the way through your various trials. In Psalm 30, verse 5, this is what it says about the Lord. His anger is but a moment. 
but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping or sorrow may tarry the night, but joy comes when? In the morning. What's he saying? Let every day start with joy. You may have sorrow in the evening, but let every day start with joy. Let it count it all joy. Let joy lead you out. Now, I can't do that. I, I, don't, I don't know what I... I'm born under a bad sign. I don't know. I have... I struggle with... I don't have a hard time with sarcasm at all. I seem to be able to cough that up at any given moment. But having joy, somebody could come to me and say, oh, what a glorious day, so marvelous, and I'll say something like, it might rain later. <laughs> Every time my wife is, is cranky, and I tell her, babe, I married you so you'd be happy. Your job is to be happy all the time. <laughs> and she says, that 31 years with you are wearing me down. <laughs> what I want us to understand is for all of us, it's not the joy that comes natural that God's asking you to let lead you. It's not the joy that comes natural that God's asking you to lead your day. It's the joy that comes from Him. Look what it says in Psalm 16, verse 11. You made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is... What's it say? Fullness of joy. So where's my joy at? In Christ. My joy is in Christ. My joy is in the presence of God. So if I want to start my day, I want my day to lead out with joy, then it requires something, doesn't it? It requires something of me. What? i got to be in the presence of God in the beginning of my day. You want to count it all joy. You're very sure. I'm not asking you to, to, you know... Put on a happy face when bad things happen to you. I'm telling you, let your day be started with joy. So joy leads you into your problems. Because when joy leads you into your problems, your attitude is different. No? The attitude is different. Our attitude changes when it leads us in. We, me and Kathy went camping one time. I don't have time for a lot of stories, but I'm going to do it anyway. Me and Kathy went camping one time. Had a, had a blast. We went to Bear Gulch on, on, the, on the brand new trailer that we just sold. Um, was not brand new, but new to us trailer that we that we just got rid of. So now, thank God we we only have one trailer. Nobody should have two. So ever for any reason, just so I could put that out there for you. So we're camping, having a ball, having a great time in the trailer, and we're we're coming home. And on the way up there, we we went up there from the highway to Bear Gulch, which is like 300 miles of washboard. That you can only drive um, one mile an hour. It took us like six hours to get from the highway to Bear Gulch. Um, and it rattled, literally, I lost two fillings going down the road. <laughs> from shaking on the road. All the way to the thing. So, we get up there. We camp. We have a good time, right? We're having fun. We say, me and Kathy say, we're not going that way. No, no we're not going back. We'll, we'll go the other way surely this road comes out somewhere the other side so we take that road and sure enough drops right down on what is it rock Creek's walk bet zoo that's the one rock creek wow that was hard so we get down on rock creek road and we're driving and we're just happy we're happy smiles on our faces <laughs> this is 
What a we didn't have no bumps on the way home. It's so smooth all the way down the hill. Man, this is amazing. We're driving. By that time, I look in my mirror, and I don't know why, but I just happened to catch the exact moment when the tire on the trailer blew. Well, that's not such a big deal, really. Tires blow on trailers all the time. The problem was, we've been camping for like a week and a half, and it's the tire next to the black tank. You know what's in the black tank? For those of you who don't camp with trailers, there's nothing good in the black tank. So that tire, that, every time I blow a tire, it, it blow, pops, goes flat, that's it. Not at this time. This time it totally untreaded itself. There's a six foot long piece of steel belt flipping all over to underneath of the trailer. It found every pipe under there. And it took them all out. I don't even know where they are. I had to make new pipes. All gone. A hole the size of a basketball in the black tank. Yeah, that's exactly what I did when it happened. Oh, Oh, that's not good. And I'm trying to think, can I keep going or do I have to stop? So, so not so good. So I don't know. But, but because we started that trip, you know, joy let us out. So I'm not in too, I'm not, I'm not in too bad a mood. I, I pull over and I, but then I start thinking, I, I don't have nothing. I don't have a jack. I don't have nothing to take the tire off. And I have just a Abolished the whole road. That whole road is an abomination right now. About that time, a guy in a truck comes through. And I think he's pulling over to yell at me. Because he was right behind the trailer when it happened. And his, his windshield wipers are going. And Oh, it's, oh it's bad. It's bad. So, so he stops and... And it rolls down his window and he says, you need a hand? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And, and he says, well, I got tools, but I'm not helping you. You're going to have to do it yourself. So I said, okay. And we got underneath and we got it changed and we got down the hill. And had it been one of my normal grumpy, cranky days, that could have went a whole lot different. Yeah. If, I, if nobody stopped, that was the next plan. Turn on the propane and just drive away. <laughs> Leave that thing behind. So here's what the Word of God is saying. When you have these experiences of life, let joy lead your day. Let joy lead your day. And if joy leads your day, the joy of being in the presence of the Lord, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. That's what the Word of God says. He's not asking me to try to whip up joy when something bad happens. He's saying, start your day that way. Start your day so joy leads you out. That attitude will make a difference in the trials that you face. The attitude will make a difference. So we want joy to lead us out, okay? So the first thing in seeing our trials become blessings is to have the right attitude, right? The joy of the Lord leads us out. Look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Second thing. Realize or recognize the real purpose of God in your circumstance. Remember I told you, suffering is not pointless. No suffering is ever pointless. No struggle, 
No heartache, no hardship is ever pointless. In the 70s, there was a, a group of guys, six guys in the Navy, been in a fight the night before, got thrown into the clink. You guys know what the clink is? So they're, they're in the brig. They get, uh, they get out of the brig the next morning. They're going to ship out pretty soon. And so uh, they decide they're going to go to the beach. Now, that's part one of the story. Part two of the story, there's this guy who loves surfing. Man, he enjoys surfing. He gets up in the morning and he jumps in his VW bus. You guys remember VW buses? Yeah, they had them in Idaho. But they were everywhere in California. So they had VW bus and, and, and you got your surfboard sticking out the top and the dude's got long crazy hair and and he's headed to the beach and then he, as vw's would occasionally do he gets about part way there and just dies well this guy this hippie he's a, he's a believer and so he's he just praying lord i don't know what i'm gonna do you know I'm, I'm not close enough to the beach yet he goes god you must have somebody for me to meet today so I'll just, i'm just gonna hang out here and we'll see what happens Oh, wow. He had a good attitude, huh? Must have started the day with joy leading him out. So here comes up behind him. He's kind of blocking the way to get into where these guys want to go to the beach. So they come up behind him and they're like, oh, dude, they just got out of the brig. And they're like, oh, hey, you need to move your bus. He's like, well, the bus is broke. Oh, we'll push you. Get in. He goes, well, not yet. What do you mean not yet? He said, God must want me to talk to you guys. So he shares the gospel and all six of them get saved. All six. One of those six's name is John Barrows. John Barrows has been very influential in uh, ministering at Planned Parenthoods in Florida. Personally, by himself. He has been responsible to save more than a thousand babies. Now back up. Day didn't look so good for the guy on the bus. And the day sure didn't look so good for the six guys that just got out of the brig. And God uses the circumstances to bring them together, give them the gospel. And then, as a result, to date, a thousand babies have been saved. Man, that's pretty awesome. That's a pretty awesome testimony. Somewhere, there's a bald guy, because all them hippies went bald. Somewhere there's a bald guy who remembers the story about ministering and telling these guys the Gospels and never knows the end of the story. He doesn't know what happened. God always has a purpose. He has a purpose. What does it say? Specifically in verse 3, it tells us the purpose is so that we'll be steadfast. That means that we'll bear up under the weight. The perfect picture for the word hupomone is a picture of a woman who goes to draw water. And she has two buckets with her. And so she draws water with the two buckets and she puts a stick between the handles and she lifts it up and puts it on her shoulders. And she carries it back. That The word they use for that is hupomone. We say patience. It's steadfastness. Bearing up under a burden. Bearing up under the weight. And this is what he's saying. You know that the testing of your faith does what? Produces steadfastness. It helps you grow stronger. So recognize the real purpose of God. There's purpose in the suffering. There's purpose in the difficulty. God's working out a plan we can't even begin to fathom. And we just need to learn to trust Him. Be led out with joy 
and trust that God's purpose is being accomplished. Listen to what Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Does anybody know that that's true? Man, I thought it was a joke when the old guys used to say, I wake up in the morning and moan. I don't even notice I'm doing it. I start thinking, what is that noise? Oh, that's me. We have stairs. We have stairs going upstairs to our, to our so every day get, I gotta go upstairs like 47 times. So maybe God's trying to get me ready for the elk. I'm gonna be chasing in the mountains. I don't know. But uh, when I go down the stairs, I, I'm not gonna catch an elk like this. I can just tell you. When I go down the stairs in the morning, after I wake up, this is how I go. One foot. Ugh, the other one. One foot, ugh, the other one. Now, third or fourth trip, that's going a lot better, you know, but the first trip in the morning is a little bit rugged. How many of us know that our, <laughs> what'd you say, John? It's going to get worse? Oh, thanks. Thanks. I, I see that you're not being let out with joy. You're being like me. <laughs> that's what I would say, too. Anyways, our outward self is, is wasting away, but our inner self... Our, the, the real lust, right, is re- renewed day by day. It's renewed every day for this light momentary affliction. That's how he describes our sufferings. Light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What's that all mean? There's a purpose. It's not, it's not empty. Nothing is empty, nothing is just, we may not understand how it works, but it works. So what's God say? Make sure you're spending time in His presence, vertically receiving joy in His presence, so we can be let out with presence, so we have the right attitude in our days. And then understand, whatever happens in that day, God is using it. God is using it. There's a real purpose. There's a real purpose in our suffering. And then finally, the last thing, the third point, remember the results. What's he say in verse 4? Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking in, what's that word? Oh, man, that's a big word, isn't it? He says, let it have its whole work. Let the trials of life make us and mold us and shape us by the great potter, into what God wants us to be. Let patience finish its task. Let steadfastness finish its work. And when it finishes its work, you will be mature. You will be complete. And you won't lack anything. That's a promise, guys. That's a promise that everything we suffer, every hardship we face, every difficulty we, we work our way through, God is saying, look, you spend time with me in my presence so that joy can lead you out. And you realize that your, your trials and your difficulties of your life are not just for nothing. There's a purpose being worked out in and through them all. And know this, the end result is God says, I'm going to mold you and make you into my image. So you'll be like me. That's what I want. That's what I want. There's lots of things I want. You guys ever have things you want? Oh yeah. Every once in a while, I'll I'll watch somebody. 
you know, TV show or something, running and jumping, and I go, oh, I don't want to be able to do that again. But I am not interested at all in trying to make it happen. <laughs> Zero. Zero. Yeah, my wife went and bought me a bike. I'm like, that is the biggest waste of money you have ever. She's like, no, honey, you're going to ride with me. No, I'm not. I am not riding a bike. The only bike I ride has a motor in it. I'll ride that right behind you. You ride that. Well, that'll be great. We'll be the odd couple. The guy on the Harley and the, and the girl on the 10-speed going down the road. One of us will get in better shape and the other one will just have more fun. <clears throat> but here what he's saying is when we have the attitude we need to have, when we recognize the purpose, if we're, if we're willing, because the phrase here, guys, is let steadfast have its own work. What's that mean? That means I can hinder the work. You guys understand what I'm saying? I can hinder the work of what God's trying to do in my life. I can... I can go down kicking and screaming the whole way. God could be saying, look, I want, to, I want to mold you and make you into my image. And I can kick the whole way. Now, I'm going to be molded and made into the image of God. But it won't have been as enjoyable as it could have been if I had been let out with joy. If I understood His purpose and I let steadfastness finish the work. I let God complete the task. And I don't want you to miss this because this is something that is lacking a lot in people's lives today. Last thing I promise. You'll be content. You guys content? Are you happy? Are you content whether you abase or whether you abound, whether you have a lot or you have a little? Have you found contentment? Because he says you'll be whole, complete, lacking nothing, will be whole, and will be completely satisfied man a world is full of, of, of people who are unsatisfied and we can chase all the things of the world but we will remain unsatisfied until Jesus Christ becomes our treasure when Jesus Christ is our treasure now I'm in his presence I've got the joy I need now I'm in his presence I got the love I need for others now I'm in his presence and I can see the power of God moving and working through me toward others that's where it all happens if that's not there then nothing else is either we'll be content and satisfied in our marriages when our personal relationship is in the presence of God. Amen. We'll be satisfied in our relationships with friends or family when we spend time in the presence of God and He's empowering us with what we need and we have the attitude that God wants us to have. The things that we're looking for in life, the satisfaction that we long for is going to be found in the presence of God. In the presence of God, everything comes from the presence of God. Being in His presence. Man, if you don't have that, none of this is going to make any sense. Get in the presence of God. Enjoy the loyal, faithful love of God poured out in your life. And watch what God does with all your little struggles. With all your little difficulties. Next thing you know, counting it all joy is not so hard. 
Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's, let's pray together.